Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not a Diving Podcast. It's feeling pretty summery where I am today. And it has been for a week or more now. So um positive vibes going on. I mentioned on Twitter this week that I've been having a lot of fun in the studio, and that's absolutely true. Got some stuff ready for release. Gonna be rolling that out from the end of this month, I think. So yeah, pretty soon. And um yeah, lots of stuff due over June, July and August. So yeah, I'm I'm feeling positive musically at the moment, which is good. I'm feeling positive about the podcast too. Thanks to everyone for your comments and um, warmly uh, expressed regards for last week's episode with Melissa Taylor. Some of you told me it was your favourite episode so far, which was great to hear. And Melissa had a good time doing it, and I certainly enjoyed that conversation too. It was great to have some good-natured disagreement on the show. I'm told that that was a good listening experience. So, um, yeah, maybe some more of that going forward, some uh, some debate going on. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally down for that. Anyway, I mentioned last week that we had a big famous DJ on this week. And, well, yeah, that's true. It's Chris Liebing. He is a very high-profile name in techno, I think it's fair to say. He's been around for, ooh, well, his CLR label goes back to 99, but his participation goes back all the way through to the early 90s. So he's someone who's been around and done it and, um, yeah, played the shows, released the records. He's still very, very active today, one of the hardest-working guys on the DJ circuit. And he is very well placed to discuss all of those issues. And also some of the other stuff that we've talked about on the show in previous weeks. So 
course my albums question gets discussed he's released albums on mute in the last few years on a slightly different tip get some interesting insights from him on that and lots of other things regarding the development of scenes and running labels and just having a life as a dj producer label owner type person so yes looking forward to getting into this i'm looking forward to you enjoying it which i know you absolutely will it's a great conversation just before we get into the meat and bones of this whole thing my weekly appeal to you guys for ratings and reviews we've been getting them slowly but surely in and building an audience slowly but surely we're still not quite where i want to be yet in terms of uh the reach for this show but we have been yeah as i mentioned on previous weeks we've been building pretty steadily every week but um those ratings and reviews really do help so if you're enjoying what we're doing here then hit that five star button write me a review tell me how great i am at hosting podcasts that'd be nice oh, it's nice on a personal level as well as just helping the show join us in the discord topflushrecordings.com slash discord so not a diving podcast channel in there you can also talk about releases and anything else you fancy it's a Web3 channel in there as well, which is kind of uh, not too well <laughs> populated. But um, if you've got anything to say about the crypto crash, oof, that's a good place to do it. And finally, follow the Spotify playlist of the show, which contains much of the music. Lots of good stuff in there this week, actually. Some uh, mid-90s German proto-trance stuff, which is right up my strasse, as they say. I'll be back after... The conversation, as usual, talk about releases. We've got a big week of releases this week on Hot Flush and affiliated labels. But now, without further delay, here is Chris Liebing. Chris Liebing, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How How are you, Paul? It's all good? Yeah, I'm very well. I mean, enjoying the sunshine. It's uh, it's good weather. There is some sunshine here as well. I just noticed it when I looked outside. I was just two weeks in California, so I'm uh, I'm back in Europe right now. So I'm a little I'm a little uh, jet lagged, but uh, the sun helps. Nice. Were you playing shows? I was. Yeah, I was actually playing on the Coachella Festival. Oh, were you? And um, yeah, so it was two weekends, and I combined it with a little holiday with my kids. Was that the first time you've been to Coachella? Uh, actually, the second time. Last time I played was in 2018. Right. Okay. So how did you find it? Um, I mean, it's it's a big festival <laughs> with uh, <laughs> loads of... <laughs> that's a good answer. With loads of various artists. Um, but we have uh, the Yuma tent there, which is run by the guys who also run the Sound Nightclub in Hollywood, uh, which I have a nice... Uh, um, let's say semi-residency sometimes uh, when, when I play in LA I usually play at Sound Nightclub and so the Yuma tent is really well organized great sound system it's it's a huge tent with uh, really good lighting and everything so it's a great production so it's a lot of fun yeah and you get to explore the rest of the festival which is uh, which is which is fun you know it's not necessarily all my type my kind of music but it's it's great to just like see other stuff you know yeah so this is like this is like the ultimate instagram festival right i think most people listening to this will have seen uh the, the photos right it's kind of a it's a big fashion thing right people like you know plan their outfits like months in advance i think to go to coachella like 
How I mean, how do you how do you get on with that that side of it? <laughs> I planned my outfit three months in advance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. But uh, uh, yeah, you're totally right. It's it's a huge influencer Instagram uh, festival, just like Burning Man is. I think it's kind of the same same idea for for most of those video logs vlogs people that run around and have their tiktok channels and everything i learned more about this because um i was there with my two daughters who are both in teenage uh, uh, uh years now so they were super excited that i played coachella and um it, it was their spring break so it was good timing for them school-wise to come along and i've learned a lot from them i learned a lot about the acts that play there because i i literally had no idea who um doja cat was um i mean i've heard of uh, megan the stallion i've heard of billy eilish um, um, but yeah, but, uh, so, and, and also they were like, they, they knew, uh, who, uh, most of those influencers running around, you know, oh, look, it's this TikToker over there and this TikToker over there. Wow. And, really? Yeah, totally. Wow. And, and it's, and it's, uh, even German TikTokers were over there, like doing their thing and, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, and my, my, my daughters actually were planning the outfits, so, so I got a taste of that too. Um, yeah, but I think, you know, as long as people have fun doing this and don't take it too serious, it's, 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 it's all good. But I have to say, one of the best acts over there, and I'm not sure if you're aware of this a band, is called Maneskin, an Italian band. Okay, um, no, my, I'm not familiar. My, my oldest daughter is, is quite a big fan. It's, 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 it's an awesome rock band. It's like they, they, put on an awesome rock and roll show you know not with like 30 dancers on the floor uh, on the stage with a uh, huge choreography over like a 90 minute set like everyone else on the main stage does they just had their yeah it's it's a great rock band it's 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 awesome people should check it out there which stage were they on they were on uh, i don't remember the names of the stages but it was a fairly mid-sized uh, tent right yeah, and uh, it was it was it was great. Um, I've heard of them before. Man, Maneskin, they're called. I think they've won the European Song Contest, even. Oh, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, I do know who you're talking about. Maybe that rings. Maybe that rings a bell. Yeah. And uh, yeah, funny, funny enough. That's what. That is one thing I do know about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good. And funny enough, I was actually sitting with, next to them in the plane on the way back uh, two days ago. So my, okay. my, 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 my oldest daughter freaked out, wanted to change the seat with me all the time. <laughs> this is, this is um, like one of them was like caught on camera doing a bump of coke or something at the, uh, at the Eurovision. Is, I'm pretty sure these are the guys I'm talking about. Very, very interesting you say that because my 16-year-old daughter actually explained that to me. And she said like, <laughs> it, he didn't do drugs there. He, he, <laughs> it, was, it just looked like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure that's right. I'm sure that's right. Mm, I wouldn't wouldn't uh, wouldn't argue. I'm glad we could clarify that. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, okay. Well, that's um. In fact, just to go back to what you said, just regards to Burning Man, have you done Burning Man before? No, never have. I, I tried once, but uh, I ma I made it to Reno, which is very close. Um, but. Uh, but uh, I, you know, it was stupid planning on my end. Um, let's blame my manager for that. But when we got to Reno and we wanted to go to Burning Man, I was actually supposed to play there for one night. And uh, but I, I also had to play on Ibiza. I remember I had to, to play at Cocoon on a Monday, 
and and we got to Burning Man on a Saturday and everybody looked at us like, guys, you're never going to get out of here on Sunday. So if you don't want to miss your gig on Ibiza on Monday, you you better don't even try to get to Burning Man. And, and you know, of everything I've heard, like people who go to Burning Man, you, you should really go there for like at least four, five, six, seven days in order to, to see that. But I'm not entirely sure if this has become too commercialized by now and too influencer Instagram like, you know, I've never been there so i can't judge it but that's kind of what i hear so yeah yeah i have a similar suspicion like there's been there's been a couple of times where i've been like i've you know kind of like being eh, should i go this year should i go this year and like and then every passing year i think well no it must be ruined by now like surely but like i don't know if that's just been too cynical yeah i c- kind of have the same feeling yeah mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't intend to talk about any of this, but it's nice that we have. Uh, <laughs> so I had a I had a question written down to kick off, even though we have already kicked off. But uh, it was with regards to you bringing back CLR towards the end of last year, right? And I just wondered, um, like, how you feel about about record labels generally nowadays. Because, I mean, you know, various sort of obituaries have been written, you know, for, for the record label um, generally. And actually, you know, you've in, in the last few years, like sort of signed to Mute actually and done some different stuff on that label as well. So I just wondered how you th- thought about it, like at a general level, like in 2022, what, is the, what does the label mean and what do they offer to artists? Um, I, I think for music enthusiasts, record labels are still extremely important because they, they guide them. Um, especially when you just mentioned Mute. Um, you know, it's such a big variety of music that Mute puts out, but you can always trust that it's, it's well-selected music that it's put out. And, and I think that's, that's the function of a record label, that uh, people who are really, uh, not say let's super, superficial music listeners that you just randomly go on Spotify, labels don't really, uh, you don't pay attention to labels. But if you're a music enthusiast and, and, and you, you like to discover new stuff, I think uh, sticking to labels that you like the music of is a, is, a, is a good way to go, you know, because there's people who select the music. Um, uh, obviously different genres, um, mute is a special example because there's loads of different genres, but there's somehow still a certain idea, um, uh, that's based, that the releases are based upon. And when it comes to techno labels, I mean, uh, obviously, uh, I as a DJ, um, are more likely to listen to a new promo if I know the label than uh, the other way around, you know? Yeah, okay. Um, and, you know, obviously CLR is, um, I think you started it in 99, I think I'm correct in saying. Yes. So, you know, you, what you've just, how you've just described the whole thing and, you know, how it's useful in, in you know, many different ways from, from consuming music, but also, you know, for, for new artists coming through. Like, how has that changed over time? That I mean, has it changed over time, I, I guess? But like, yeah, tell me a little bit about how your view has evolved or not over that period of, of running CLR. Um, n- not so much, to be honest. Uh, I've always saw a label as an p- opportunity to... Um, first of all, release my own stuff without having to argue with anyone and to go through certain notions like uh, uh, discussing, you know, stuff. You just could put out music. I mean, that was that was kind of the, the, the initial idea that you then take on other artists was starting to be a bonus. Um, 
yeah, I'll release your music. Your music is great. And then I started to find out and realize that there's a lot of artists out there who necessarily don't want to run a label, but still want to get their music out on, on, on a trusted, on a trusted, in a, in, a, in a sort of a trusted way on a trusted label. And then I somehow, you know, you somehow also become that, uh, in, in, in the music world, kind of a platform where, where people like, Uh, come back to you and give you some productions and you're like, hey, I have something new. Let's let's put this out. Um, and during the early years, 99, let's say, yeah, till about 2009, the first 10 years, I've kind of treated the label that way. And then between 2009 and 2015, um, I kind of opened it up even more and I put more em like 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 energy into also label events, label parties and building up a roster of uh, of artists that was not exclusive to me, but uh, who saw CLR also quite as a home. Um, but by doing so, obviously, as the person who runs the label, you, you start to bear way more responsibility also towards the artists. Um, because, I mean, everybody who gives you music and produces music puts a lot of love, uh, passion and, and work into this. And... Um, so you better want to make sure you honor that by releasing at the right time, you know, putting enough uh, um, um, uh, work into promoting the release uh, and, and making sure everything is right, you know. So, you know, things are were slowly growing and it was growing and growing and growing. And it, I think you just need to, to be aware of that. And that is kind of still the same thing. I, I had a five-year break. I went into, into hiatus. Uh, around 2015, 16, that's the time, um, uh, 16 it was, I think, the time when I signed to Mute because I really wanted to concentrate on, on a different kind of music at that time, which I still do. Um, but uh, uh, in, in those last five years, uh, first of all, my, my daughters, which I've mentioned before, got much older, so they, they don't really... Um, hang around with me so much anymore so I have <laughs> right. so, so, I, so, so I have more time to concentrate on music again and when I started to make music with Ralf Hildenbeutel who's my co-producer for the more musical stuff which I did with Mute I um, you know I felt like I put so much effort in this now I, I cannot I cannot with a good conscience continue with the label and, and keep you know keep promising the the artists that I do the best work for them and that's kind of why I kind of stopped the label as well and told everybody it's like you know what you're all great artists you find different platforms I'm just going to freeze this for a moment um it was there was a lot of factors coming together like uh, time that I needed for myself for family for other productions there was a lot of touring going on which is always kind of going on but so you have to work around your touring schedule always in a way But I, I needed that break. And f since the restart, because you were asking, it's like, um, what the point is, what the purpose is, and, and also what I've learned during that time, uh, is that when I restarted this last year again, first of all, I was very surprised that people actually still remember the label. So, wow, uh, that's, that was something that I never really thought of. And that people started coming to me and said, like, Oh, you know how influential that was in my own personal career, you, your label, and you know, in my beginning of my career, I was like uh, looking forward to every release, and I wasn't really aware of all that. I, I, I literally that that was a part of running a label 
that I never really paid that much attention to. I was paying attention to what releases I'm going to put out and how I'm going to put them out and 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 um, my my own music that I'm putting out. But I've never really looked into the effects that that maybe has at a whole in in the in, in our music world. And because of that break and because of coming back, I kind of realized, oh wow, it's, it's actually like. It might, might sound funny, but it actually means something to people, you know. And th and th and they were happy that this is back because they were like, "Oh yeah, I was missing this part of the techno label landscape that we have out there," you know. And I realized, oh, I, I'm actually having this little niche there in this techno um, with a certain sound, I guess, you know, what I'm releasing, and uh, people are happy to have it back. So, yeah, you, I'm more aware now that I'm actually running a platform which um, which not only helps young artists to to build a profile for themselves, um, but also that is uh, that actually people are looking forward to the next release. And I never, I never, for some funny reason, I, mean, I was never really aware of that before. Well, I mean, that's always a great thing to hear, isn't it? When um, people are engaging on that level. Yeah, I was, I was, I, I'm super happy, and it's amazing to hear that. Yeah, and uh, I definitely, I never really expected it. I was, I, I had so many conversations now since the pandemic ended, uh, and and the party started again with people like on 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 the trips, like oh, you started CLR again, yo, you know, uh, I was listening to all that stuff like 15 years ago. It's like really what? And and you <laughs> and you still remember the label, and you're you're happy that I started again? What? Uh, that's that's awesome to hear. And I and I had a warm welcome also in Beatport, and and it's just like oh, that's nice. Uh, it, it just it it definitely surprised me uh, in a very very positive way. That was great. Yeah, so you mentioned um, like signing artists but not having exclusivity and kind of rang a bell with me with, you know, how what we've done with Hot Flush over the years and how it can be kind of challenging to like build the identity of a label without that sort of level of contractual commitment from people. But I mean, like, I mean, I say that, but also in, you know, with, with the caveat that like when you're releasing primarily like 12s like singles or EPs yeah. and you have a finite you know release schedule that you can do over you know the, the course of a year or whatever like it's difficult it's very difficult to, to give artists the kind of coverage that, that they need to grow themselves um, you know as, as acts and as you know grow their careers so how have you found that over time because um, you mentioned that you know you spent that kind of period 2010 to 2015 say of, of kind of like um, concentrating on that and also what you just mentioned about how the approach of building young artists careers like how do you see that side of it the kind of exclusivity thing and then like the kind of responsibility as also you mentioned to um to do right by the artists yeah you know i was never really looking for exclusivity when i released somebody's music because if you uh, i think my label is too small for that um you, you bear quite a bit more responsibility towards an artist if you have him under exclusive rights, you know, uh, because you're the only one who's responsible now for his musical output under that certain project name or artist name or whatever you want to, you have, yeah, you, you have the exclusivity on. And, uh, that was, that was never really my idea. I always wanted everyone to be able to, to release anywhere they wanted. And if they wanted to release with me, fine. Uh, that always meant I need, if, if I want those people to sort of release mainly with me, then I just need to, to do the best possible job in, 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 in any respect, you know. 
and uh, you you already bear a lot of responsibilities when it comes to that. Um, and uh, that's that's kind of like how my approach always was. And I was always uh, very involved also in not only the the well the planning of the releases, also in the production in the of the releases. Um, especially in the phase between 2010 and 2015, when I also released a lot of albums on the label. And you know that releasing albums is, is another, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole other ball game than just putting out 12 inches in a way, you know. An album is, is something that an artist even worked more on and has more interested in that it just doesn't go away after like two weeks, you know. And um, so with with albums, I was basically when I did, did all these albums with Monolog, with Terran, T Tommy Four Seven, Terence Fix, my drum cell, um, I, I basically sat down in my studio with them and mixed the whole album together and 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 put a lot of effort and work in the mix downs and in the the track order and, and in everything. And um, I really loved that process. That was I did I didn't do it because I had to. I, I did it because I really loved to. And I and I always asked, and I still do this. Um, I haven't released. I haven't had any. I have not ha any plans yet for new albums on CLR. But I'm sure they eventually will come. But even now, I'm I'm basically when I get the demos or I work with some artists, I I basically try to be involved already in. Yeah, maybe even take some influence in. In, in the arrangement of tracks, in, in how, how they sound. And I always ask the artists before, it's like, do you mind if, if, if I give, if, <laughs> if, 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 if I give more, more of my opinion? Do you mind if I, if I would ask you to revisit the track and maybe work a little bit on that and that, you know? And usually what I get as a response is like, oh, I'm super happy if you did. Like, please go on, you know? Um, so it's, 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 this, this is the fun part of, I think, running a, a label. It's very time intensive. Um, and so you need to find a good balance. You cannot do too much. Um, maybe in between 2010 and 2015, I did too much of that work and that, kind of brought me to the point where I was like, I can't do this anymore if I want to do some other music too. Um, so now with uh, this new phase, the third phase that I call it, I, I think I, I, I find a good balance to, to, um, yeah, to not interfere too much with the artist's work, but just enough to make everybody happy, including myself. Did, did I actually answer your question here? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, kind kind of, kind of. Um, I mean, it's really interesting that you that you mentioned that kind of like in participation in the in the process, and I guess that's a part of what A and R sometimes is on labels. So, like one of the things I've actually talked about previously on the show, for like for example, with um, like Machine Drum, uh, and also with Tim Exile, we talked about the different approaches of of different labels that they've been signed to to that kind of process, and like the extent to which different you know people at labels get involved with the real kind of minutiae of the music and i wonder like i actually i'm worth giving the example just like on planet mu like mike paradinus is kind of legendary in his um attention to detail shall we say about what comes out on planet mu but in in the context of you signing to mute and releasing two albums on mute which we'll which we're going to talk about later but right like how was that um a and r done and was it like how did that make sense to you in the way that you'd A&R your own label? You you, you mean the A&R done with my my, my label or with Mute? 
I mean, your experience on mute versus how you'd been on the kind of like on the other side of it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. F- funny enough, you know, when I started my label, I mean, I had even, I didn't even have an idea what an AR, NR is, you know. Um, you know, all these terms and all, all these music in, industry insider uh, things that were just totally alien to me. And um, so I kind of did it in a natural way, how I felt a label needs to be run you know if somebody re- I, I i had never really released any tracks just for the sake to have a fourth track on a release you know i oh, just give it to me i don't even listen to it we'll put it on there no i i i always had also and and have quite quite a lot of attention to detail which which can be very draining sometimes especially if you release a lot you know it's like you have to take care of so much stuff but then i rather release a little bit less but everything is the way i i want it to have so so you know my work was then what you might consider a and iring work with mixed up with like uh um uh, yeah, uh, even giving giving the pro- producer a helping hand, maybe in in the studio to get the final touches in the right way. You know, somebody sometimes his producer got stuck in his ideas, and he just sends me the half finished demo, and I'm like, oh, you know what? Maybe you just work on that sound a little bit more and and skip that, and and we'll we'll get there. And that was kind of my approach. And funny enough, when I started to work together with Daniel Miller. Who um, who played a lot of DJ gigs back in like 2013 when I when I got to know him much much closer. We we played a lot of gigs together and we 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 had a lot of dinners together and we had a lot of meetings and I just, and then I started making that music and I played it to him. I realized that his approach uh, is 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 also like uh, not the industry standard approach. Like Daniel gets really involved in his production, in, 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 his, in his work too. Um, so so they, they really, they let their artists do their own thing as much as the artist wants. But at a point where the artist says like, oh, I'm not sure, I don't know how to do the artwork. I don't know what, I don't have any ideas for the artwork. Oh, I, I, can somebody help me with the mix downs? Bam, the label comes in and just helps out with everything. Um, so it's kind of this organic approach, you know. There's, there's not. It's not like these set pieces that need to come together. It's just all of one big piece that kind of works out in the end, and then you suddenly end up with a release. So it was kind of a similar, similar working way at Mute, which I found. And by the sound of things, that was a a good way of working for you. Amazing! It's it it's it's it was uh, yeah because I was familiar with it. You know, it's like oh yeah, oh you helped me with this too. Oh that's great. Um, and you helped me with this too. And uh, f- I mean, when it comes to the, the the last album, I know you want to speak about it maybe later, but the, the, the another day album, um, I. I credited Daniel as an as a executive producer on it because he basically came to the studio here in Frankfurt and, and, and helped us kind of like giving final touches on all the tracks. And then during, during the pandemic, um, we basically online mixed the whole album over the course of like four months together with him. Um, and, uh, you, you know, it's just like it shows you that the label is way more interested than only releasing your music. They're really interested in the process, 
It's it's that's that's what it's about. It's 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 the whole fun of the journey of 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 how you're doing it, and 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 if you release something in the end, it's, it's kind of a bonus. Oh yeah, we we actually have a release in the end. That's fun too. <laughs> well, I mean, if you could enjoy the process of of the whole thing, then it just makes yeah, it it enriches the experience like just so much. Yes. So I mean, to be honest, like now that we're here, let's let's talk about those albums. Um, just to go back to what you just said, um, when you say uh, online mixing, I, do you mean just like passing stems back and forward and, or passing project files? Like, how did that work? No, um, there is this uh, software. Um, it, I constantly forget the name of this. It's a very simple name. Sound, 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 sound sharing. Anyways, it's a, it's a, it's a server where you basically log on to and then you can what how we did it is we basically were in three different studios Ralf my co-producer for this project since I'm not really a musician and Ralf is an awesome musician I found him to be the perfect man to help me with these more musical projects and he's an incredibly amazing producer like I've learned so much in this process so basically he was sitting in his studio I was sitting in my studio and uh, Daniel was sitting in Berlin in his studio we shared our screen via Zoom, and then we had, um, there's this plugin, I have to find the name, maybe I can tell you later, uh, maybe even if I open my uh, Ableton Live here while we talk, um, I can tell you. And then basically, uh, you, you all open your DAWs, and you put this plugin in, and uh, this plugin basically shares the music on, 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 uh, on each side, and uh, in that case, Ralf was the source, and we were all listening and we could basically, thanks to screen sharing, just exactly pinpoint like, oh, that bit. And then I could say like, oh, Ralf, could you open like that plugin? Let's, let's, let's put this, let's, let's work a little bit on, on the EQs there. You know, everybody, the great thing about working like this was everybody was sitting in their sweet spot, you know? Um, uh, oh yeah, I got it. It's called Audio Movers. <laughs> audio, audio, audio Movers for those geeks out there who want to know. Audio Movers, you have a receiver and and uh, and a sender, then and you just put it in as a plugin into 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 your master channel, and then you receive uh, kind of in, obviously in real time. There's just almost no latency. This is great for everyone. And you know, everybody's sitting in their sweet spot in their studio. You don't have to like share the space in front of one screen and somebody's sitting a little off and listening to something and something else. Everybody's in their own environment, especially when it comes to mix downs where you feel safe, where you're familiar with your sound and you know exactly what, 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 what you're talking about. So, um, in, you could sit at your home and it was an awesome process. I even without a pandemic, I would start if I mix down music with other people together, I would start using this process too now because you're in your own environment and you, you, you basically listen to the same thing in the best possible sound quality and you just exactly know how to do it. Yeah, it wasn't it was an insanely awesome process that was so much fun because I've learned so much. I mean having Daniel Miller sitting there and explaining to you how how you know that this sound needs to be a little bit more more out there and in his own way and 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 you just realize man this man knows so much and you know he's got such a wisdom and knowledge and and he shares this with you right now on your music wow it's just it was that was quite i mean he helped a lot on burn slow already but with with another day, he was basically the third man in the studio. It was it was it was it was awesome to learn so much from this man. Yeah. 
So you mentioned that you played some shows with him, but like, how did you first meet and how does that um, relationship develop? Well, I first met with him in 2003. Well, it was a very brief meeting because in 2003, I released my album Evolution, my first actually techno album that I had. And even though I was running my label CLR back then, um, my ambition was like, oh, I want to release it on Nova Mute. I was a big fan of not only Mute, of course, also Nova Mute. And, and around the early 2000s, Nova Mute was, was like, wow, one of the best techno labels around. I mean, sometimes they release more, sometimes they release a little less. Uh, but back then it was like, wow. So I went to London with my, with my album and met, met with Seth Hodder, who was the A&R back then. Of, uh, of Nova Mute and I sat down and I listened to the whole album with him and during that piece of listening a bit of listening uh, Daniel came in and introduced himself and I was sitting there oh my god Daniel Miller hello and that was the first time I ever met him but um, ran into him here and there but he started DJing I think in the in the 210th um, around 2010-2011 uh, more and more like doing techno DJ gigs so in 2013, we were playing, I think, at ADE at an event together and we had dinner and I ended up sitting next to him and had an awesome conversation with him. And uh, we, uh, I, we, I, we agreed to stay more in touch. You know, I, I sorted him out with a lot of techno music because uh, he... You know, he didn't really have too much sources to find new music to play. So, so I helped him um, get uh, get access to a lot of music. And uh, every time I was in Berlin, we met for dinner, and and uh, yeah, we, we became closer and closer. And and I always felt like I wanted to do more musical stuff, not not too away from techno, but you know, more listening kind of stuff. I'm I'm still a kid from the 80s and I was been always been really influenced by 80s music and also especially by stuff that Mute put out and uh, Ralf Hildenbeutel is a producer that many people may not know from his name but he's been a very influential figure in early techno in 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 the Frankfurt scene here since he was uh, like one of the three main producers of IQ Records that you might still remember as well. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. And, and right. Harthouse. Yeah, the, the, orange, the orange theme and all that, right? Exactly. And, and, and yes, absolutely, all that is... Uh, I, I advise people who listen to us right now to later on go online and find out about old IQ records. It, it was like, that was the music that brought me into techno, essentially, you know? And he produced also the first, I think, three albums of Sven Fede, um back back in that time. And he's an amazing musician and I've always been kind of in touch with him. And uh, I approached him, I think it was in 2015 and said like, Ralf, I really want to do a little bit more, mu more musical stuff. Would you mind to hang with me in the studio and we try to work on music together? And he was like, yeah, well, why not? He's, he's, he's uh, producing a lot of film soundtrack and, and, and movies for, for tel television series and stuff like that. So he's very much into this world. And um, so we sat together and it was clicking like from day one. And that's when I started to make like this more musical stuff. And then I like the first person I thought of was like, Daniel, can I can I annoy you with some music from my end? You know, <laughs> can, can, do you want to do you want to listen to some stuff? And he was like, oh, of course, just send over. And so it was kind of over a period of a year where I started to uh, like meet, meet with Ralph and we did more and more music, sending it over to, to Daniel to the point where 
at some point I was like, Daniel, would you consider releasing something like that on mute? And he's like, yeah, sure. Let's make an album. Let's make an album out of this. And that's, that's how the first album came about. And that's how the signing came about, which, which was for me mind blowing because in a way. <laughs> I was just going to say, I was, it's got to be a good moment, right? Oh, you know, it's, it's like, it's still, I still like knock my head on my wall. It's like, am I really experiencing that? Because, you know, I'm making this music with Ralf Hildenbeutel, who's the guy who basically produced the early techno that got me into techno music. And I get to release what I do with him on the label that kind of formed my musical taste in my early childhood and teenage days in the 80s. Um, like, and, and then I get help of the man who discovered my favorite band, Depeche Mode. Like, wow, like, <laughs> how is this even happening? What's going on here? And yeah, this, I'm still pinching myself every day for that. Yeah, awesome. So, um, yeah, one of the things that we've talked about on this show, um, on most of the episodes, almost every episode, actually, uh, is the album format generally. So it's interesting that you say that he immediately said, let's make an album, because obviously the album format is... Um, well, I mean, people people think about it in different ways now, and it's certainly less of a ubiquitous thing than it once was in terms of how people think about, like, for example, record deals and all the rest of it. So let me ask you how you think about the album format. This is a question I've asked almost everyone yes, as well. Yes, yes, yes. Like, how, how, how do you think about it now in 2022? Like, is, is, it, is it still, like, relevant? I mean, like... I like almost everyone I've answered, asked that question to says, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still like, it's still the kind of pinnacle of the, you know, the artist's aspirational <laughs> that kind of stuff. But I mean, is, is that really true? I mean, it, maybe, maybe it's true that in terms of aspirational terms, but where does it fit into the landscape of people actually listening to music now? I mean, first of all, I'm happy you asked that question because it's an important question. Um, uh, you know, I don't know in which, which era you grew up in. Um, maybe we're kind of the same age, but I think I'm. I think I'm. I'm a little bit younger than you, so I, I'm. I'm. A, I'm a more of a '90s kid than an '80s kid. Oh, okay. Um, but is it still relevant? No. <laughs> I have to. Like, <laughs> I, I think obviously to people out there, it's 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 not really relevant. I mean, you know, why would I want to listen to an album in 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 in, a, in an age where where the attention span has been becoming like shorter than a goldfish? Um, and, and we only talk about like 15 second TikTok snippets, you know? Um, so, so I think in order relevance, I mean, to define relevance, is, is it relevant for an artist to grow? Not really, you know? Would, would I be where I am without releasing those two albums? Probably, you know? Um, uh, so why did I do them? Um, because, even, even though they might not be relevant to the world out there, they're extremely relevant to myself. Um, I just love that format. I, you know, I grew up with this format and I still, I'm not going to lose hope. Um, meaning I think it will be rediscovered. But I mean, a lot of people still love albums. Don't get me wrong, but I, I still hope that it, this medium, this format will still be rediscovered by a younger generation again at one point. Um, and only because it's not relevant out there doesn't mean I, I, I'm still working on it and I'm still loving making albums. Um, when I grew up, literally, I mean, it was a whole different time. You, you saved some money, you went to the record store and you either bought some 12 inches, you know, or you bought the whole album of a band. What, what you, you, you liked a track of a band, you went out and you bought the album because you spent so much money and you invested so much in it. Um, 
you went home and you were not only listening to that one track that you knew, you were basically putting the needle at the beginning of the album because you put so much money in it. Um, and then you lean back and it's like, okay, band, show me what else you got. And, and I mean, it was amazing experiences, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it, it was awesome. There's, I actually on my Instagram, I have, um, Uh, uh, a story highlight thing that you can always go go on to and it's uh, it's called best albums ever ever made or something like this I called it I don't even remember my own hashtags but anyways you can you can look in there and it's, it's all these albums that I found extremely influential on my own on my own upbringing um, because you discovered stuff on an album that you would have never discovered by radio or by promotion of this artist, you know, uh, you, 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 if you wouldn't listen to the album, you only listen to the singles, you would miss out on so much. And, and I would not want to miss out on that. So this experience by having an album that tells a whole story that makes sense from the order, track order, you know, the track order is so important on an album. I mean, not a lot of people really, I think, appreciate it these days, you know, but there's a few who really appreciate it and maybe you do it for them. So I put a lot of effort in both albums on mute and also my, my last artist album um, in, in the techno realm, which is called Evolution, that it makes sense when you listen to it from the very beginning to the very end. Like having a one-hour listening experience that takes you to places almost like a DJ gig maybe would do just consisting out of out of out of that music. So yes, in that in that sense I find it extremely relevant uh, from my point of view and uh, for everyone who listens to this album to from the beginning to the end I'm I'm really like applauding and 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 shake their hands and it's great, you know. And I wish more people would rediscover this this art form, this art form of an album because it gives an artist a platform to go way beyond just this one single hit or like EP three tracker or whatever it is. What sells better these days? One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Yeah, I mean, I think um, uh, like the, the way you described that kind of, well, it, it it shows that the like the the emergence of the album was was really tied to the to the format, right? It was a you know yeah. like an LP record basically is what what fitted on that, and I guess the um, the development has really been around streaming, and I want to ask you about that, but let me just before we get into that. Um, you meant you sort of compared you compared it there to a DJ set, and it's really interesting that because of the way I've thought about electronic albums in particular has sort of been linked to that because I mean sometimes the electronic form as a broad genre the electronic thing as a broad genre sometimes like the album is a bit of an awkward fit with that with many with some producers and much of the music is can be anyway like better experienced in the in the sort of 12 inch single format so how do you distinguish like I mean I mean as a 
I guess as more of a kind of listener of albums rather than a maker of them. Like, how do you sort of see that? Like, do you, do you do you share that kind of slight like reservation about how sometimes electronic music can fit into that album thing? Oh, that's a that's a great question. And I always said to myself too, it was like uh, after I released this album in two thousand three, it it was supposed to be it was a techno album and it was supposed to be working on a dance floor while it was should also be working listening to it. Um, and I think an album should be working listening to it. And then later on, people asked me, why don't you release another album? And I was like, you know, if I have ten tracks, you know, why? That, that are working on the dance floor, that are kind of electronic music that works on the dance floor, I just released those 10 tracks, you know, track by track, because it makes no sense in an album format, because it doesn't tell a story all, all together, you know, it's just not something that I want to listen to uh, in, in a row, you know what I mean? So, so having 10 tracks, that's I, what, I, what I think is, is the awkward thing, having 10 tracks doesn't necessarily mean you have an album. Um, and that maybe is, is an awkward thing to do. It's like, oh, I'm releasing an album now. Sometimes I see that with artists, like, oh, here's my new album. And then it's basically 10 tracks they could have released as singles, you know? Like, but, but what, where's the point in doing it as an album? Maybe if you released it as a single, you have actually more, um, um, more focus on, on each individual track than, than you've wasted than in, in having that in an album format. So I think the distinction is, if you want to release an album, it should tell. It should be all connected and tell a story, and not just like ten tracks, sort of selected out of fifty tracks, and then we'll put it in an album format. Um, and in techno, that's quite difficult to do. One of the people who released like an absolutely awesome techno album last year is Luke Slater with his Planetary Salt System on Token. Um, that was a techno album that completely. Um, uh, goes against everything I just said right now before, <laughs> because it is 10 techno tracks on this album, which works as an album incredibly well. It's just like this awesome album to listen to, but also all 10 tracks are awesome to play in a, in a DJ set. So he managed to, 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 to do it both ways, which, which is, which is amazing. I mean, he's an exceptional artist anyways. Uh, yeah, but that, that's, that's, I th- you know, you know, this is where I think is, should, should be the difference. The line should be drawn, you know, does it really need to be an album or can you release just 10, 10 singles? Well, it's it's funny because, you know, prior to the kind of streaming thing, the advent of the streaming thing and the advent of, um, you know, the, the, the kind of shift, I suppose, like artists were kind of incentivized towards that album format. And now we've almost come the other way where there's no point in releasing an album. So you've got track, you make a track and you feel like, well, this could be a great album track, but can I release it as a single? So, so we're kind of in this weird um, like paradigm shift where like artists are really incentivized just to, just to release bangers, you know, which which poses its own questions creatively, right? Oh, it, it, it's we're in a super weird time because now, I mean, we, we just spoke about the Coachella X, which I never heard of before, like like Doja Cat or let's say The Weeknd, all these people. I mean. I don't even know if they still release albums. No, most of them release like an EP. If you're big enough of an artist like Beyonce or Kanye West, you you basically drop an album out of nowhere and you you have such a huge fan base that they're just sucking it up and listen to the whole album. C- 
kudos to them. That's great, you know. But most of these artists, like these main stage artists at a festival like Coachella, I, I, what I've heard, they're just releasing three track EPs time at time, time by time, because these are the big tracks, you know. And then, and then ultimately, their 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 concert is like the the collection of those EPs. They're playing all these EPs, but then. You, Obviously, the bigger you get, like a Billie Eilish or something like that, like the fan base is just looking forward to the next album. But, you know, the, the funny thing is that gives me hope is that um, it would come back to funny enough to my daughters and, and Coachella, Maneskin, that band we talked about in the beginning, they became famous, I think, with a th third or second album, you know, and became pretty big. And now even my 16-year-old daughter says, like, I'm waiting for the next album. She's not saying I'm waiting for the next track or release or EP. Maybe she's, she would be happy with an EP already. But she's like, I'm waiting for the next album because I want to see what they do. Like on a, on a grander scale, not only with one or two tracks, like what did they do in this album format? And that's really interesting to see because, as you said, this album format came about because of like physical limitations we had back then you know it was like a, a vinyl which which maybe a double vinyl and you can you can put about a mu an hour of music on there and that is that's how where an album comes from that's where the idea of an album comes from she grew up in the time where vinyl album didn't really matter to her but she still thinks in that terms of an album and that the band will release a new album and it, it kind of like i think that was kind of how it developed an album somehow contains around 10 tracks maybe more maybe even sometimes less but that's what she's looking forward because she's a fan of that band so there is um a little bit of like This, 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 this is still going on. But for most of those artists that I've seen on the bigger scale, you know, just let's not speak about the electronic music scene. I think the EPs and the singles are the way to go still, you know, to make an impact in the world out there. Okay, so let me ask you then about, um, about those formats generally and, and about that shift in consumption. Like, how do you feel about streaming just at a really broad level? Like, what do you, what do you, how do you feel when, when people are like, Yeah, you know, slating Spotify on Twitter and all, and all the rest of it. Like, what, how, how do you see the whole thing generally at a, at a very kind of like, you know, step back? Yeah, it's, it's so much of a give and take because, you know, on the one hand, you, I mean, I hate the fact that you don't own anything anymore. That's, that's, that's something that I really don't like. And that's kind of like, not only in the music world, that's, that's kind of what creeps in into our lives in a lot of different aspects of our lives, you know? You don't really own stuff anymore. I mean, you, you buy a computer or a phone and, and, uh, you know, you, you, once, once you have it, you, you can't even change anything in it anymore. You know, it goes into the rights of repair stuff as well, you know? It's like, when, you cannot change the battery of your phone anymore and all, and all these things because, I mean, It used to be that if you own something, you could take it apart and do whatever with it. Now, if you buy a computer and you open it, you lose all the rights of warranty and you will never have the original company help you again because they sell you, you were not allowed to open it. And that's why we're not helping you anymore. And it goes even into cars and to anything. And I don't like that. I, I, I think the idea of only subscription, you know, that you don't really buy a DVD anymore. You just watch it on a streaming service and it's gone. It's so fleeting. I, I still kind of like the idea to, to own stuff. So, but on the other hand, the streaming, I mean, helps you to uh, gain a wider audience much, much quicker because the, the threshold of somebody listening to your track is not any more that he has to pay, let's say, 10 quid before he listens to it. 
he can listen to it right away. Uh, but uh, you know, that's that's the positive. But the negative is um, obviously you don't really make any money anymore on 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 it. Um, and and it's so it's so you know disposable somehow. I don't know if this is the right word. It's just so you know. It's just. I mentioned before when I walked to the record store and I, I took my hard-earned money and I put it in the counter and I got the vinyl back. I, you know, I wanted to make it work. I put so much time in it to listen to it to really understand what's on there. And now, since you don't really have to pay for it anymore, you just have a nine euro something subscription per month. You click on it. Oh, I don't like it. Let's listen to the next one. No, I don't like it. You don't. You, you stop discovering. You stop putting any effort in it any, anymore. And that's kind of like the sad thing. But on the positive side, you, you listen to way more music, maybe. So you know, I don't. I don't really have 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 an opinion about it. It's 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 human evolution, I guess. And there's nothing you can do about it. We could go and, and make demonstrations out there against it, but would it help at all? You know, it's it's very very convenient for people. And I, how can I, um, uh, uh, um, yeah, talk bad about it if I sit in my car and I use use the service constantly? I mean, it's 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 interesting that you talk about like that kind of investment you get when you buy something and you own it it's crazy when i when i listen to albums that i well yeah yeah it is albums i was gonna say music but it is albums so i listen to albums that i i you know i had when i was a teenager and i listened to over and over again because there was a finite you know there was only so many cds on my shelf right, or whatever right. like when i listen to that music now i know it inside out i i remember all the words i know i know, know the guitar solos you know i know the, I know the fucking drums and what you've just described, it seems like this will have an implication for like the longevity of music now. Oh, because if everything is so fleeting, is the word used? I think it's right. Um, like, what's that going to mean for the music that's being released now in you know twenty or thirty years' time? Like, is it going to be the same? I think it can't. Can it? I'm not, I'm not sure. I I'm not sure. I, I wish I knew. I I'm not sure either. But it it goes into kind of two ways. I mean, you have this what I've mentioned before, this TikTok trend that, that you, you release a track and it needs to be instantly noticeable and have an instant effect on you, like within like 15 seconds, you know? And that's kind of like how producers think now and how, how they work in the studio. And, and, and they, 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 they go backwards. They think like, okay, a kid is sitting in front of his telephone and, and is scrolling. Like, what sound can I make that it makes this kid stop scrolling for two seconds? You know, um, and and it's got to be it's got to be exactly instant, right? It's it's actually not fifteen seconds. It's the first second. Like one of the things that I do on Hot Flash now is I go through our catalog and I fi I pick out when the TikTok clip is going to start. You know, to the second. <laughs> yes, like it's it's crazy. I, it's literally a second. If you told me five years ago I would spend my time doing that, I just I would not have been happy. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's literally seconds. You're totally right, and it's just like this attention span of, of. I mean, it's not it's not a joke less than a goldfish. I think some scientists actually revealed that that it's really less than a goldfish right now and it's just like oh it works doesn't work next 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 you know and i see this with my kids that's how it goes but with and that's the trend and if this is the trend if this was the only 
trend, I see a dark future for music because there's not going to go, it's not going to go deeper. It's not going to go under the surface. Albums, um, like groundbreaking albums like Disintegration by The Cure, um, albums by Pink Floyd, the Genesis or anything like that will never be produced again, would never be produced again because there would be no audience to invest more than 15 or well, one or two seconds in it to to discover it, to actually try to understand it. But I, I, I'm a kind of an optimist because I think every trend has also kind of, kind of a counter trend, you know? So there will be enough people who say like, you know, I'm fed up with this one second in initial dopamine rush because this sound is so great and I'm listening to it then for 15 seconds and then I move on to the next. I want to go, go into deeper stuff, you know? I want to, so, I'm I'm sure there's a counter uh, trend going on as well, you know. Maybe it was just a few people, but that might catch on to that. So that there is a market and a place for 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 let's say music that takes its, its time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it's it's really interesting that you say that because that just got me thinking. Like, what did albums replace? You know, because like classical symphonies don't, I mean, there's no Beethoven now, you know, there's no Mozart, there's no Puccini writing operas like that. That stuff just doesn't get done now, like to the same standard anyway. And, you know, standards are raised in music by lots of people trying to do the same thing, essentially. So, I mean, yeah, this is going somewhere. But I mean, like the, the trend has been, you know, for, you know, I guess since the advent of you know in, industrialization, the trend has been to like just shorter and shorter, like the quicker and quicker hits, right? So, I mean, I'm really conscious of the fact that we might be sounding like just old guys moaning right here, right? But totally. But but at the same, but at the same time, like it seems like once once you've got down to one second, which is where we are now, yeah. in TikTok, where do you go from there, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, I, and that's what I'm saying. Like at some point, even the the, the hard, most hardcore TikToker will be fed up with this and will be like, "What? What have I done with my with my past three years of life scrolling through stuff? What what have I gained of that?" But you know, it's the funny thing is, it's not all that bad because on the other side, you have computer games, right? And people, young people, invest hours and hours of their day in playing a computer computer game. You know, and that's and that's investing time in a product that has been released, which is an artistic product as well. And they're actually investing a lot of time in it. And they're not only sitting there for two, two seconds playing it. So, you know, there is still like that, that realm where people invest time into art and, and indulge in it and find out deeper levels. And maybe we're just going through a phase now with music where it needs to happen like this in order for people to realize, you know, music deserves a little more than only one second. You know, you know uh, maybe they realize it through going to the concerts because concerts is a big thing. And, and, and maybe, maybe you realize it there, you stand in the crowd and you're like, fuck, there's so much more to discover on this band and with this music. Like, why am I only listening to these 15 seconds pieces of them? So, you know. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's um, the, the gaming thing is, is is a great point. And it's something that I've, I've, um, I've talked about with other people, actually. It's like, not on the show, but online. And like, it, it definitely feels like there is a, a kind of lull in music creativity, but there is such creativity happening elsewhere in yeah. um, this kind of like immersive... 
experiential stuff, which music used to be very much so. Certainly, that was the that was the function it filled in my kind of childhood. Yes. I guess like when you wanted to really kind of get out of it, you, you just put your headphones on and listen to whatever your favorite album was at that point, and you were just taken away. And you know, I'm 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 not so old as that. I don't remember. You know, there were no computer games. Of course, there were computer games, but like the games now are really kind of like you know completely immersive experiences in a, in a way that wasn't very much that wasn't available to us when i was a kid and it's yeah it, it, it's so interesting to to um to, to make that a uh yeah make that a, a key justification a key distinction rather um so let me ask you then just sort of going back to um back into music and back into how you like like the ownership of music and all the rest of it like how do you how do you view of like a a platform like Bandcamp, for example which has been the kind of, I guess, the kind of like the last holdout against um, <laughs> against this whole force. Like, how do you see? I mean, how do you see that as a? I mean, is it has it ever been a big part of your of, of CLR, for example, Bandcamp? And how do you see it as a as an artist? Uh, we just actually with uh, now restarting the CLR, we we started the Bandcamp page of it too. So it's it's another avenue to release your music and to be in direct contact with with people who buy the music. Um, so, so that's great. Um, you know, when I, you, there, I, you know, we're always talking about you're not making enough money when you're on a streaming service. Um, you know, but which is true. You know, I think I think in general, artists are not paid enough for what they do. There's way too many people in the in the middle who grab the most, the biggest pieces of the pie. Um, the business people, but hasn't that always been the case? You know, that's that's the thing. And in my out of my own experience, um, I can tell a little anecdote of what what happened when I released my first album, Evolution. Uh, it was in two thousand three. Um, it was way before internet, uh, like like was was a big player. Of course, there was already like uh, some some pirating going on, and you had to watch out that the music wouldn't end up there. But it was a small group of people who would pirate your music. So it was still the time where you could really turn over a lot of money by selling units of CDs and vinyls. And so I had my album ready and uh, I released it in 2003 with the distribution back then. And it sold really, really well. I was super, super happy. So by the time accounting comes and I was meant to be paid, my distribution went bankrupt. I think you're the third person to, to, for this to have happened to around this time. Yeah. So, 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 um, so I na- never made a penny on anything. I, I even, you know, of, of that album. And then now you have somebody maybe complaining, oh, I just released an album on Spotify and all I made was like 10 quid, you know? And I'm like, well, 20 years ago, it was exactly the same without, <laughs> without, without Spotify. I think that's the fucked up music world we're living in, you know? And, and this is why I see some services like, uh, I'm, I'm also on Mixcloud Select, you know? I don't know if you know of that. And, and, and I really enjoy that, that, that concept. It's, it's an amazing concept. I mean, you know, it's also subscription, you know? So you don't really own it, but you make the best out of it. Um, so people can go to Mixcloud Select and they subscribe to their favorite artist and they pay like whatever, three, four euros a month. You know, uh, I know by now it adds up. If you have your Netflix, if you have Disney Channel, if you have all your subscriptions, your telephone bill, you end up having maybe a thousand quid a month to pay on stupid subscriptions that you're, that, that you're on and you really 
like do i need to go on another patreon do i really you know it's it's kind of it's it's a hard sell it's it's kind of a hard sell but what mixcloud select does it's like if you're subscribing there they actually analyze every mix that you're releasing i'm releasing like every one of my radio shows every week through mixcloud select 2 and it's the radio shows without me talking so it's pure music but their their music detect detection is so good that every track gets analyzed and they immediately pay out every artist out of this subscription fee um uh directly to the pocket of the artist who's basically part of that system as well um or talk about uh dvs1 sack who set up this uh slice uh, uh program now for for us djs to basically submit our playlists to this system that he created and and then all the artists that are part of that system uh are being paid uh some money out of that what 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 you as a DJ, maybe at the end of the month, out of my DJ fees, I go there and, and give that A slice uh, um, idea a thousand dollars or whatever, and and he anal his software analyzes what whose music I was playing, and if I was playing music by um, I don't know uh, Nicole Mudaba or whatever, you know, and she's part of the system, and then she gets paid the exact amount that her music is being played. Um, compared to the amount of money that, that was collected. So artists get directly some money out of that system. And that's the same with how Mixcloud Select is working. You know, Every mix that I'm releasing, everybody I'm, I, 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 everybody's music I'm using to create that mix gets money out of this without... Well, you have at least, of course, still one middleman in that case, like A-Slice or, or, or Mixcloud Select. But there's systems coming up where artists are going to get at least some more money than they have had before. And I think we're still far away from artists being um, being paid what they actually deserve for, for, for their art that they're creating. But it's, 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 it's been always shit in the music industry. I mean, go back to Queen, go back to the old 70s. Every artist has been fucked over since, since, since history began, I think. Yeah, I think that's that's probably fair. Um and yeah, with um uh with Zach DVS one's A slice thing, that's a really, really good idea and they've done it in a in a really cool way and I'm hoping to get Zach on the show to talk about it at some point. But yeah, I think the well I think like part part of that and actually what that A slice thing particularly gets at is that the share of of revenue like in the kind of business as a whole has moved from recorded music to, to live music right and that's that's yeah. at the heart of a lot a lot of what you're talking about and i mean and you and you also mentioned that your touring like never stops i mean you are a pretty relentless yeah. dj circuit dudes like <laughs> i mean like i've got to ask you man how like how do you how do you keep that up i mean i did it for a good few years but i mean i, I hit the wall eventually like i, I, mean, I guess you, you just had a two year nearly a two-year break there i guess that came at the right time right uh, I think yeah, the pandemic was was a break that none of us would have taken voluntarily. Absolutely, uh, um, and and it's I mean a terrible time for a lot of people, but also a time to re reassess where you're at, what you want to do in your life, and 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 and, and what you've been doing. Um, kind of the Ferris Bueller quote, like once in a while you need to stop and look. And, and, and look around what actually happens in your life and if you're in a relentless touring schedule sometimes that's missing out but 
you were asking how, how I've been doing this and I'm going back into a rentless touring schedule and I think that's just me. I just love it. I just really enjoy tour, traveling and DJing. Uh, and sometimes I think that's the only thing I can re I'm really good at. So, sort of in, in my little world, like I, I'm really, or let's say that I'm really confident in it. I'm not sure if I'm good at it in other people's eyes, in my eyes, I somehow am, because it's the only thing where I'm really confident in. I, I kind of know, I think I know what track I need to put after another track. You know, that's kind of the work as, as, a, <laughs> as, as a DJ. And if that's probably the only thing in my life that, I'm, that, I, that I know I can do. So I'm really loving DJing. And I know the, the, the touring is a hard thing, but I, I'm happy to take that on and, 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 and I kind of love my life. I, 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 I like it like that. And if you like something like that, then it makes it easier. If I would resist it internally, I would have hit already many walls, I think. But I, I, I don't. I'm just, I'm just like, I, I, just, I, just, I just like, like that fact. And, and, and so, so I'm touring a lot and I, and, I, and, I, and I like it and I've always liked it. But you've mentioned before, you know, that's where the revenue comes from for a musician, from the live shows. And that's what I've always seen it from, from the very beginning when I started DJing and also making music even in the middle of the 90s. I was like, you know what, making music, I don't, I'm not ever going to rely on making money on making music. I see the making music part as A, I, I just want to do it because I really enjoy it and I want to play my own stuff. Um, but B, uh, it's, it, it helps you being on tour as well because you, you, you have that, you, you have that, uh, uh exposure through your tracks and, you know, you put out music, you're, you're out as a DJ. It all goes hand in hand with me, but I've never relied on money that comes in from A, my label or B, my own productions. I've always seen my, this is the lesson I've learned in 2003 when I literally got absolutely nothing out of like really great sales of my album. It's like, you know, I never, I never, um, um, I've never planned with that anyways. So, so, uh, and I see running the label in the same way, you know, I don't, I can run the label the way I want it because I am not planning with the income of the label at all. You know, mm. it's it's just a side thing. So the music comes in through live shows. Uh, the music, the the money. Yeah, sure. So did the pandemic like shake those foundations a little bit? I mean, I know a lot of people that I talked to um, had their well were shown a, a bit of insecurity they weren't expecting by the pandemic. So did that? Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. It shook shook many foundations, but it shook also a lot of foundations that needed to be shaken, um, that that established themselves over the past 20 years that were useless, that were just like wasting money. So, yeah, it. I mean, obviously, from one moment where you basically a touring DJ having a steady income and you adapt your lifestyle on that income, you just automatically do, to the next week, oh, um we're done with this now. And luckily me and my, let's say accountant or the man who works a lot on my finances, uh, we realized, we realized pretty, pretty early, like this is going to last long. Like this is not going to be over in, in, in half a year. So we need, we need to reset everything. And we did this quite early. I, 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 I cut down overhead quite a bit. You know, we just got rid of anything which wasn't necessary anymore. 
And um, uh, so that, that helped. And honestly, I have to say the German government helped quite a bit to, to keep overhead uh, costs, like they were helping money-wise. Um, so, yeah, it, it shook, definitely shook the foundations. And I'm sure it hit some people much, much harder. And I, I got lucky with the country that I'm living in, let's put it this way, with the, the team that I have around me that was... Um, that was uh, very understanding, you know, less work, less money and, 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 and cutting down on overheads and everything. So I kind of got through this pandemic uh, quite okay. Um, I, w I was happy about how, how it went, but uh, you definitely uh, reassess a lot of stuff and, and, and moving forward, I'm definitely going to do some stuff different and already do stuff different. Yeah, certainly those of us in the UK um, were looking at what the German government was doing and were feeling quite jealous, I have to say, mm. financially. Yeah, I, I heard enough stories from the UK, sadly, as well. Yeah, yeah, no, it wasn't great. Anyway, um, that's all super interesting. I wanted to go back quite a way, though. Um, actually, what, what I was planning to talk about at the front of this conversation... Um, <laughs> But but that's okay. That's, that's fine. There's no set no set schedule, um, which is like, well, one of the things I've been trying to do on the show generally is kind of track the development of music scenes in different places and people's participation in them. And um, with 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 the '90s as a sort of special area of interest, without wanting to um, you know sound like old guys again. <laughs> but you're you're from Frankfurt, yeah. And I'm you, that was the the place of your early musical development, I, I guess. Um, in fact, I'm I'm fairly sure. Yeah, yeah. So, so you've talked a little bit already about you know growing up in the '80s and those kind of um, particular bands that were kind of influential on you. But what was your route into you know what what you do now? Like, what were the kind of formative experiences that made you wanna? start going going out and then DJing and actually what what was the kind of what was the order of play there like you know was it a typical kind of like start going clubbing and then wanted to be a DJ or was there something else so tell me a little bit about your kind of way in yeah um I, I was never really going out I mean I, I I of course I went to clubs um as soon as I I was allowed to go to clubs and luckily in, in Germany we had we had really cool laws like you were allowed to go to clubs from 16 years on you know like when you were 16 you you were allowed to go to clubs obviously you had your had you ask your parents to drive you some places and then once you had a driver's license with 18 you your your radius got much larger and you experienced much many more clubs but i i realized very early on going to clubs that i was mostly standing in the corner listening to what the dj is doing I, in the beginning, I never really knew why I was doing this, but it was always really interested, like how the vibe gets created, how things are going. I was always um, building up my own music collection. And, and by the time I was uh, already probably this is why I was listening to DJs when I went to clubs, because with 15 or 16, I was already starting to be the guy who took care of the music when we had like parties and in friends' basements or something like this. I was always like, no, no, guys, none of you is going to take care of the music. I'll do that, you know. I was always very cocky about that, that I am the only one who knows how to do this. <laughs> and, um, uh, and, and this is kind of how it started for me. So I was 
already very interested in the DJing side in, in creating an atmosphere of the night, getting the people to dance and, 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 and all that music stuff. And I was lucky enough to basically be near Frankfurt and Frankfurt, not so much today anymore, but in the, back in the, beginning of the 90s and mid 90s was one of the main players the main cities when it comes to techno in the world like literally the the you you could really say there's Detroit you know New York Berlin Frankfurt and uh Tokyo um I mean don't kill me if I miss out on some cities now but that I I would I was going to say Brussels actually Uh, Brussels, yes, yes, you can say that too. I mean, obviously London, you know, that's kind of very obvious. Um, well, that was also conspicuous by its absence, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and fr but Frankfurt was one of those cities. It was definitely one of those cities. The, the, there was the sound of Frankfurt. We, we, we had bands emerge in Frankfurt, um, Culture Club, which, which had this huge hit, Mr. Vane, which, which, which was a, 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 a project produced by Thorsten Fensler, who was one of the main first big DJs at the Dorian Gray Club, which we had here in the airport. I mean, there was like a club landscape here in Frankfurt, which was insane with the Omen Club um, um, music hall, uh, Dorian Gray, which was a club actually in the airport, which is, if, if you think about it today, kind of in, insane thought, you know, and it was kind of 24 hour license, you know, so it just, that helped too. Um, I think that's 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 also a make or break of a music scene in a city. What what laws you have, what licenses you have, and I was I was lucky enough to be near near that scene in 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 in, in those early mid nineties, and um, as as soon as I could, I I was basically diving into that. Snap comes from here. Ancelotti Münzing was like the production team behind Snap. Everybody knows, remember Snap. That was all. Yeah, yeah. That was all produced here, Frankfurt, Offenbach area. And um, Logic Records was here, which released all these big 80s hits, uh, Dr. Alban and, 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 you know, it was quite big, Jam and Spoon, quite a big act, you know. It all originated here in Frankfurt. Sven Fate, obviously one of the absolute cult figures in the Frankfurt nightlife scene and also like pushing the early electronic music with his labels IQ and Hardhouse, which we spoke about earlier. Uh, and... Um, I actually started working for the label IQ then in uh, in '95, and ah, I didn't know that. yeah, and and so so I got into into the whole business side of 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 this Frankfurt scene by by basically working for this album, and um, having those important clubs. Yeah, and I became a resident DJ at the Omen Club um, in '95 for the. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa! Just we're going, we're going a little bit too fast there. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> So how about how did you get into DJing then? Because we've gone from you standing in the corner in a club watching a DJ to you being a resident DJ. So what was the what was the transition there? What was the journey? Yeah, I grew up in a little city outside of Frankfurt, like uh, just just about half an hour, forty minutes away of Frankfurt, but big enough to have their own music scene. And and the late eighties in in that little town, that's where I called where I basically got my early musical education. It was a great time to go out. I was like, kind of like sixteen, seventeen years old. And we had all these amazing clubs in this little in this little village, uh, city, uh, and um, we had an awesome record store called Co uh, Downtown Records with a really great selection of records, loads of imports from New York, from London, early house music, um, uh, techno, and everything. Close close enough connected to Frankfurt to have this great connection, but yet far enough to have this its own little scene. 
And uh, we had a great DJ in one of those clubs in Gießen that I remember who played like really out there music, you know. And, and sometimes it's, it's so interesting. Sometimes it's these little things. You know, if, if it wasn't for this DJ who randomly had played played at this club in this little village there every weekend and had this awesome music selection, nothing you've ever heard on radio. And, and it was so out there and, and experimental sometimes. And you're just like, wow, this is great. You know, who, who knows if I would be sitting here now and talking to you? It's, 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 it's just awesome if you put all these little things together. And uh, we, we also had this one club where my, it happened like that my sister was working behind the bar in this club, you know, and, and at some point she, she was, she was asking me, hey, the club that I'm working in, they're looking for a DJ for Thursdays. Do you have this music collection, don't you? And you play on your friends' parties all the time. Shouldn't I, shouldn't I, do you want to come by and I tell the owner to maybe check you out? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And that was in uh, around 90, 91. And, and so I walked in and I, and I, and I played music on a Thursday and I got the Thursday night for me. And, and then I built up a Thursday night and I asked all my friends to come by. And, and after a while, the Thursday night was really a good happening night. And it was like, Oh, this is really working. But it was not with techno and electronic music at that point. It was with anything else that I would be playing that I would be interested in. Like you would have Peter Gabriel, um, you know, uh, snap, you know, all, all that stuff, you know. And, and then uh, I got the techno thing somehow that, that was because of our record store as well. And because I really enjoyed these early IQ records, uh, again, that were produced. Sorry, which, which record store we, did you just re refer to? Uh, uh, Earth Nation is, is one of, uh, one of the projects, which actually Ralf Hildenbeutel was the producer of. And, uh, okay. you, you know... No, no, sorry, sorry. I mean, I mean, which record store? Is that what you just referred? To? I think you said. Oh, the record store was called Downtown Records, which was in our city in in Gießen. But but then you you also had in Frankfurt Delirium Records and Boy Records, which were very heavily influential. And I I think Boy Records, there is this uh, uh, um, a little bit of history. Was basically the first record store that had. The compartment which was written techno on it in the 80s oh really wow okay right. yeah it was it was it, it, tala 2xlc was working there and he had a he had a night at the doring gray which he called uh, um um uh, uh techno night i, I don't I, I don't even remember it just it just slipped my tongue but he used the word techno in in a night going out environment for the first time i i'm sure people from detroit detroit don't like to hear that but um <laughs> you know i always feel like techno has no origin in in one city it's a combination from so many cities worldwide it's truly a global phenomenon and i don't think any city in the world can claim they invented techno it's it, it basically came together as a combination you know detroit wouldn't be existing in a way it exists today without berlin And, and vice versa, you know, like Dimitri Hegemann with his Tresor Club in Berlin gave the Detroit DJs such a great platform to release on and to play in the club that those guys could go back to Detroit with these experience they had in Berlin in the early 90s. And, 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 you know, everything grew together. And this is why I kind of always have a problem with like, oh, we are the originals of techno and we, we, we found a techno. Now it came together from everywhere. And, um, I, You know, Frankfurt was just such a big player back in these days. Sadly, it's lost its status over this the time. It became more and more a financial hub, and uh, the city became way too expensive to host little record stores uh, or 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 clubs. Uh, you know, um, but back in the 90s, 
it was like such a vibrant area uh, era and and I ended up somehow somehow really participating in that quite a bit and and that formed really my musical taste yeah you 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 mentioned that um you reached a point where you got that residency um and were you always djing under your uh, as chris leaving yeah yeah um it kind of got there in the beginning i remember i i tried to come up with some stupid dj names and i was never really good and <laughs> never really good in finding dj names and and i was like you know what just like i just use my name yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I was never good at the media. That's why I'm stuck with scuba after all these years. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, but but don't get me wrong. I don't think DJ names are stupid. I, I think I, I, know, I, I, on, I only I came up with stupid DJ names, <laughs> which didn't fit me. And that's why I ended up like, I'm, I'm not creative enough to come up with a good DJ name. So I use my own name to clarify that. <laughs> there, are, there are plenty of bad ones. Yeah. Actually, I was... I was um, well, I've always thought that Move D is the best ever DJ name. Oh, awesome! And I told him this on uh, <laughs> I left a comment on his Instagram the other um, the other week, and he was like, "What? What? No!" I was like, "No, it is absolutely is the best one ever, the best one anyone's ever come up with." Um, but yeah, I, my my question was um, becoming becoming who you are now. Like, I mean, obviously there was a, there was a process there, and you mentioned like releasing your debut album in in '03, I think it was. So. How did you? Okay, so let, let me ask. In fact, because you know, mentioning the album, we've talked so much about albums. Yeah. What was your journey like as as a kind of developing producer as opposed to DJ? So, um, how did you first get into that? And like, did it go hand in hand with your talk developing DJ career, as it were? And how did how did that come together? I, you know, when I started to DJ more and more techno and electronic music, I I really quickly realized that not only you know, I was always interested in producing music or in how music gets produced. I, I I don't come out of a family, sadly, that has a musical background. I never learned an instrument. And I always was listening to music and thinking, like, how did they do this? You know, it's like, <laughs> how the hell did they, did they make this piece of music? This is awesome. And it was way too complicated always, you know, to like, oh, you have to have a band and, and you need to learn how to learn an instrument. And, you know, sometimes these things just don't happen in your life. And then techno comes along where I start to realize, oh, wait a minute, you just basically need a, need a drum machine, some sort of synth, a little mixer, and you can put together like just already the kind of kind of like basic beats and that's that's so much fun and uh, when i started more and more playing techno i realized that i want to play you know not only other people's music i want to you know when i want to create something what with my dj set i want to create it as personal as possible which is possible with other people's music very very much possible with other people's music you know you mix it together in a way that you think is the best possible way to 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 transmit the the sound to the people somehow i'm not sure if i'm saying that right but you know what i mean and and if you add your own touch even more to it it becomes even more personal and by uh, adding your own touch is like adding your own little loops into your productions with it and this is kind of like how it started for me so it kind of went hand in hand but i have never seen myself as the big producer because i'm not coming out of this production background so in the early times I was um, having a good friend who had a studio who I was then asking, it's like, hey, there was Andre Walter. 
Uh, sometimes he went by Andrew Wooden. I did, you remember the Stigmata series in the 90s, maybe, with the re Relentless Techno. That's what I, all the stuff that I did with him together. And, and I basically went every day to, to meet him in the studio. And he was happy that he had me, um, a DJ out there, being basically on the pulse of the club nights. What, what's going on? What, what shall we do? And I was happy to have him to help me on, 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 on the technical side of things, you know, and, and t learning from him how, how a synthesizer functions, how a sampler works, um, how the drum machine works, how that all gets together. And this is kind of how I was learning by doing. And I still am, literally. In, in the early 2000s, around 2003, 2004, I, I built my first own studio and, 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 and uh, set up my, my own world to produce in. And I still love to work together with other people, especially when it gets more musical. I, I, I suck at that. I, I can't, you know, I just, I, I cannot play piano. I, I barely know what harmonies are or what notes uh, are. <laughs> and, and, and so, so hence why I got together with Ralf Hildenbeutel. Uh, to to do all that musical stuff, and he's playing such a big part in that musical stuff that I honestly feel actually really bad about having only my name on an album. And I think for the future I will change that with Ralf as well because his role is so much bigger in in this whole project in Mute that that I feel good about having only myself on on the, on that thing. With techno music, you know, I kind of like know my way around it, so I can. So I can uh, produce my stuff, and I learn every day, and um, and 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 it goes hand in hand with the DJing, and it's just I always I always really enjoy the process. It's not so much about the result; I really enjoy the process. Yeah, like we said before, that's that's just to, if you can really engage with that stuff, it just makes the whole thing a lot more fun, obviously. But I would, I just I think you're, I think you're like doing yourself down a little bit with with those quite self-deprecating comments <laughs> i mean you, you've always struck me as, as someone who's been like very like particular in a, in a good way about how you like feel about music and i think that's just as important as you know knowing how to play a um <laughs> minor scale or whatever <laughs> i was trying to think of a complicated name for a scale then i just blanked on it i just I said minor scale like and I, I do actually know a bit of theory as well. but but like, i just i remember um I think it was I think it was an Instagram comment on on, uh, on one of your posts, and some dude was saying, talking about kick drums, and I remember you and you replied to it saying, "Well, that's just how I like my kick drums." Yeah, and it, it, that was really it was quite illuminating to me because you know I think having a real kind of particular ear for something is um, it says a lot about one <laughs> as a as a kind of musician. Does that, does that resonate? Yeah, I mean, uh, if you mentioned kick drums, that's I'm obsessed with kick, kick drums, and 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 I know the, the the quest for the perfect kick drum will never will never end, um, it, because there's no such thing as the perfect kick drum. It's, it's a there's a perfect maybe a perfect kick drum in in, in in each situation, but each situation is different, so it's always different kick drums. So 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 the, you can ne, you ne, it's a never ending exploration field of exploration to have kick drums i don't know how many years in my in my life now i have spent in front of um speakers tuning a kick drum just a kick drum um <laughs> I, i'm pretty obsessed with that and to to a point where it just doesn't it's not healthy anymore i guess and that's why it's a it's a very 
touchy subject for me when somebody um, um, criticizes my kick drums, which is a fair thing to do um, because I'm still learning and, uh, and I'm still trying to find the right kick drum for the right track. And sometimes, you know, I've, I've done a track and I'm happy with it and then I play it out and after like a couple of times playing it out, I realize, oh, I should have really worked on the kick drum more. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm a very I'm a very simple simple minded guy when it comes to this yeah. Well, you know, I think like there is like simplicity in music is um it's just for me like the well for me the best music is is at the base quite simple you know yeah like, that's the music I I I engage with the most is um has simplicity on its side right and and techno is absolutely um an example of that as a, as a genre it's I've you know it's it, yeah on the face of it it's so formulaic but there is just an infinite number apparently of uh of variables you can you can introduce to it. and i was talking about this with with surgeon uh-huh. and and he and he made that point that there just seems to be almost a kind of well as as i said like an infinite number of ways you can do this and it can still sound fresh right well isn't there there is right i mean that's why we're still here i guess right is it, that's that's exactly isn't that, isn't that crazy that we're still doing this with so much enthusiasm and i think right. really one of the one of one of the biggest reasons for that is that we still have infinite possibilities to do that stuff and we're still searching for for the next um thing that kind of satisfies what we're really looking for in music you know the combination of kick and bass and how can it be even better and and has a more impact on your on your vibe and your soul and 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 how you mix that together and just i mentioned before how much i learned from daniel how he approaches music and listens to music and and it's just it's so exciting and 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 i mean you, you know and also combining it with how we grew up with, with the music we grew up with, you know, it even gives you more possibilities, you know, it's like you, you have all these old artists that you still find inspiration by and, um, you, you know, you, you learn from that bit and you can take a little bit of that bit and combine it with something you've just discovered or a new thing here, a new thing there. It's like, there's so much going on. This is amazing. I love it. Yeah, totally. So, um, okay, well, I just got one more question then. Um, which is going back to albums. Just give me a few albums that were influential on you over the years. Um, Pick out a few. Um, well, the uh, first one comes to mind is Disintegration by The Cure. Absolutely. Which which I find is one of the best albums ever made. <laughs> it's, it's just it's just pretty amazing. Um, uh, you know, actually, if I go on. Uh, yeah, feel free to look some up because it's, I hate being asked that question. It always it's always problematic. To no, no, I actually, I, I actually I actually have some in mind, but but um, the, the the great thing is um, that if people want to go on my Instagram page, you know, um, ah, there you go. Oh, right, yeah, you were saying before your uh, highlights. Yeah, I have to, I've said that before. I have, I have this this the best albums. I just want to now. I just take the time to actually go on my phone. You know, I have these best albums listed there, and I started it when. When, when I released the first album on mute because I wanted to, what we talked about before is like, wanted to give the people like, why is an album still relevant? Why should it be relevant? Yeah, because because uh, check it out. There is, it's, there's so many amazing albums that you might might have missed. Um, and 
let's let's go through uh, uh, some of those albums. Um, Frankie goes to Hollywood. Welcome to the Pleasure Dome. You remember that that, that the Holly Johnson tweet? Which Holly Johnson tweet? Holly, uh, Holly Johnson t once t I tweeted once at Holly Johnson that he's doing a great job and he tweeted back at uh, uh, at um, he, he tweeted something back like oh I'm up for a collaboration I was like what the fuck Holly Johnson is up oh, for right, a collaboration right, right, yeah. yeah you remember that it was insane I was like you know you get get in touch with your old 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 artist friends um um Siggy Stardust, uh, the the David the David Bowie album, I find uh, mm. one of the really good ones. Um, Gail Gaddy by Boards of Canada, I just still, oh, right, yeah. I just I just still love that one. In Rainbows by Radiohead is one of the ones for me. Obviously, um, Purple Rain, Prince, and I mean I could I could mention every Depeche Mode album really. <laughs> <laughs> Which is your favorite? But uh, if if you have to really pin me down, is songs of faith of the and devotion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that 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 kind of had the most impact on me. If you want to go a little bit, I in, guess you. Yeah. I'm guessing here, but I'm I'm fairly sure you must be a pretty big Depeche Mode guy, right? Oh, totally. Last last concert tour, I went to eleven eleven shows. Wow! Wow! Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, so you definitely are then. <laughs> and, and, and I forced my and I didn't force my kids. My kids are big fans by now too. Uh, they they came along and I think on five shows with me or six even. Yeah. So it's an like a a Deepesh Mode show is just like something that is that has to be witnessed live. Yeah. And um, uh, when it comes to I I I really love the first Doors album. It's only called The Doors. That that that's a great one. And when it comes to eighties. Um, I've had the pleasure to be uh, to have a podcast interview with Martin Ware recently. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Who does who does the podcast show um, uh, electronically yours? And it's great series. People should really check it out. And uh, I, he had me as a guest, which again just totally blew my mind because um, <laughs> I was like such a big Heaven Seventeen fan in the eighties. And, and and the album How Men Are, I'm I'm not sure how many times I've listened through this whole album from the very beginning to the very end, you know. Um, uh, so that's that's kind of like from from the eighties. Um, obviously, there's more industrial stuff as well, Nights Up albums and Front Two Four Two, which which I was kind of really into. But also Peter Gabriel, um, his his album Melt is one of my favorites. So. It's it's quite quite a range of stuff and and that's that's what I love with albums. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, listen, thanks very much for doing this. It's been great. It's really nice and I hope to see you soon again somewhere out there in the world. Yeah. It's too rare too rare we see each other. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Yeah, that was Chris Liebing and what an interesting guy he is. Great conversation, very enjoyable to have and Quite a few talking points, I think, coming out of that. I'm interested to know what you think of some of the things that got raised there. It's great to get an insight into how it works on Mute, the label which so many of you, I'm sure, are into. I certainly super into it. And um, yeah, it was reminded of Nova Mute, which is that kind of technoy offshoot from the early 2000s, which released so so much good stuff in the 90s as well, actually. But yeah. Super, super interesting stuff from Chris and yeah, get him out on the road sometime soon. He's just relentless with his touring schedule. 
and fair play to him I couldn't keep it up myself but um, he genuinely seems to love it so you know why not I guess anyway coming up on hot flush and affiliated labels this week we got the debut on hot flush from Closet Yi who is a really exciting producer from South Korea got her debut single with us on Friday Friday the 20th of May and we're building into an EP five track EP uh, which is going to come out in early July but the first single is called Heavy appropriately enough so um, yeah check that out hotflush.bandcamp.com also on Friday we have the full release of Psych Scattered you might remember from a few weeks ago the uh, title track came out as a single on Who Whom and the full EP is out on Friday 20th of May and that's a really good one too I really like that one including my own contribution which is the Scattered SCB Edit I know lots of DJs have been playing that as well as the other track which is a massive kind of techno banger called One Take I've been playing that loads in my sets yeah great to have Psych associated with what we're doing I'm a big fan of his and have been for a long time so yeah welcome to you mate right I think we are pretty much done here. Remember to leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Genuinely does help. I said at the top of the show. to every week, really. But it genuinely does help, so please do it. Join us in the Discord if you've got anything to say. Got any abuse or any comments, any aspects of Chris's comments you want to raise, perhaps? Do so via hotflushrecordings.com slash Discord. And finally follow the spotify playlist there's a link in the show notes to do that okay well nothing else to say so i'll see you same time same place next week for the next episode of the not a diving podcast thank you Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.